Welcome to Machine Learning. Well, I successfully hit my goal in trying to have a podcast every day. And uh, um, and I was able to hit my monetary goal on Spotify. So I was like pretty happy about that. And uh, so... Uh, you know, I've been thinking a lot about uh, kind of the content of what we've been talking about. You know, a lot of technical stuff on Python and, and uh, you know, importance of, of figuring out conversion rates. Um, and the reason why conversion rates are so important is it comes down to profit loss. So in business, if a business makes a profit, it can stay in business. If it doesn't make a profit, it goes out of business. So that seems like a logical conclusion. It's not your right to work at a business. It's, uh, you know, there's a, a privilege. So there's a kind of an agreement between you and the employer. And that is, uh, you know, you're going to provide some skill or some value that that employer needs or wants. Uh, and in return, he's going to pay you a certain amount of money for that particular service. So, you know, it's often said, you know, how much you learn is very important in a technical world. And that's why I said that, that in the next decade, there's going to be 120 million people that are going to be shifting their jobs. And now they're going to be exposed to uh, data. And so they're going to have to have analytical skills. And, uh, you know, they're going to go back to school. They're going to learn statistics. They're going to learn inference, programming, uh, general linear modeling, you know. And uh, uh, they'll know about what Z-scores mean and P-values, etc. But uh, then the question becomes, you know, you know what's, what's going to be valuable? And again, these key, you know, these key indicator values uh, are looking at the financial health of the company so you, you get your you get your key values that you can characterize as as um, the most important factors to the health of the company maybe like your um, cash flow or maybe it's looking at uh, uh, mounts requested invoicing and Know, then you're looking at uh, uh, maybe it's a, a ratio of, of how much is being collected versus how much is being requested. And, you know, whatever those key, and, I, and I've got a, a general idea of what I think the key uh, values for majoring the health of a company are. And, uh, and once you have those key values, then you start asking the question around them, uh, what are the th factors that could be affecting growth? You know, maybe there's a change in government regulation. Uh, maybe there's an increased incidence of safety. Maybe there's a, a, a raise in the fuel prices. Inflation's increasing. You know, there's macroeconomics that are outside of the system that are impacting the, the business health, uh, like we saw in 2008. So... Well, we, we look at the you look at the those key indicators, 
and you watch those. Now, one of the important ones is uh, if your company is based on a subscription model, and uh, that would be uh, predicting, you know, at what point uh, after a subscription has elapsed, how many days after does the user who's been active on the framework, uh, does it take for them to subscribe again? And so maybe you say, like in the two weeks after their subscription is subscribed, there's maybe 1% that uh, renew their subscription. But in the first week, maybe it's uh, 5%. So you know that in that first week after they, uh, their subscription expired, that you have five times the chance of getting that customer to renew their subscription than uh, maybe two weeks after. And so you run your cohort analysis uh, for seven day and then two weeks and you're running that comparison and you start then stratifying the data by group by looking at maybe uh, gender or maybe age or maybe education as a way to stratify the data and see if there's differences between those groups. So we really do live in an age where uh, data is being analyzed, we're interpreting what it means, you know, and so maybe in those particular groups, incentives are offered because it all comes down to the quality of the offering as a way to keep the customer from churning. So uh, in my podcast on customer churn, which has now about 1,027 listens, um, I talked about, you know, that it is the quality of the offer. So now what is uh, the second thing is... Uh, uh, that a company needs to look at. Okay, so the quality of the offer, what that means is, uh, is that uh, uh, everything is a function of incentives. There was a book called Freakonomics, okay? And it talked about some weird incentives that, you know, that people weren't aware of uh, that uh, were creating an economic model. And so in business, there are incentives that create an economic model and, uh, and the economic model then is used to uh, either increase profits, uh, maybe maybe there's a ratio of increased profits to lost customers. So that, you know the management's unwilling to um, create discounts or increase incentives to get the conversion rate higher. And so you know, like in, for example, I've known sometimes when I've got a host service at GoDaddy where they've offered, you know, at different times, uh, you know, if you, um, if you upgrade, if you, um, pay you for your service in advance, you can get a 30% discount. So, uh, and then they kind of changed that and they said, well, no, that's not, uh, that doesn't apply to you anymore. Um, it, it applies only for new, new subscriptions. So they, they changed that and increased their profits that way. And then they maintain their existing clientele who seem to be pretty loyal to their platform. So they don't need to provide these incentives to stay. So that's kind of something that businesses can, can use. They can withdraw incentives or they can offer incentives depending on the demographics of their uh, customer base. So anyway, I found that kind of an interesting pattern. And so, you know, when you're looking for a pattern, don't, uh, don't just 
let's think that everything is mathematical and is going to fit into an equation. You know, kind of talk about it. I remember when I was in college, you know, the physics professor would say, let the equation talk to you. And I'm like, that equation is not talking to me. And I don't understand what he means by that. But, uh, you know, as we started talking about uh, conservation of energy and conservation of momentum, uh, friction and things that, you know, that equation did kind of talk to you. You know, you had uh, different components working together. You could do uh, potential energy and kinetic energy and conversions and you could see acceleration as that ball dropped or if a ball was rolling down uh, a, a, uh, a hill at a 30% incline, you had the forces of gravity vector and then you had a cosine vector and, and that cosine vector could translate to an acceleration or a velocity and acceleration as time uh, moved forward. And then you would fat, uh, reduce down the friction, and then you could you could calculate the speed of the ball rolling down the hill. And uh, I found that uh, real interesting. And then you could inter uh, mix different components and see what you got. Like you could put things in terms of potential energy, or conservation of energy, or conservation of momentum. You could calculate uh, reflection angles. And I really kind of wish that I had some background in physics before I took the uh, physics for engineers, and because it was a real shock, you know, because I did, had taken mathematics, but then when I got to physics, I found that the using math to explain the physical world was very different, very different. Applying uh, pure mathematics, which I had pretty much pure mathematics in geometry and algebra. And then going to the physical world and thinking about it was a big shock. And I would say that, that that's kind of a way machine learning is too. It's kind of like you're taking pure mathematics and computer science and you're applying it to the physical world. So you have to kind of let the equations talk to you like the professor said. And um, so those are, those are kind of interesting uh, observations I make about machine learning. So when you're looking at your data, kind of have a good idea. I remember one professor, uh, Dr. Alston, and uh, he, uh, I liked him in his uh, economic history. Didn't do very well in the macroeconomics. Uh, different framework to work from, but much more technical. Spent a lot of time after that trying to understand macroeconomics. I think I do understand some macroeconomics now. But anyway, he said... Uh, 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 talking about, uh, you know, the way the world works is that, uh, you know, go, go get a Wall Street Journal and start reading that for a couple of years. And you'll learn a lot about how economic works. And I thought, why would I read the economic Wall Street Journal and try to figure out how the world works economically? And, uh, you know, because it wasn't all just fitting inside these nice little equations because we were trying to make uh, these complex equations that showed how the world worked. And then you factor in uh, coefficients for behavior and you have, you know, you have your quantitative measurements that are well known or, you know, published by the government. And, uh, 
and you can plug them into your equation and then you can make predictions you know at the the macro level of what's going on in the economy well uh when i so i did uh, after i graduated i i I went and got Wall Street Journal. The company, you know, they passed out Wall Street Journals to all the senior management. And for a little while, I got on that list. And I wasn't on senior management, but I got on the list. And so after they were done reading the Wall Street, which they kind of just looked at a few things and then they put it in the break room, I was started to read it every day and, and take notes on it. And at first, I was having a real rough time understanding the terminology of what was going on. But the more I read it, then I started to build my own complex models of what they were talking about, like how imports or exports worked, how taxes were affecting, how the mortgage-backed securities were working, etc. you know? And I was building, uh, I was building these models in my mind about how the world worked. And so the equations, you know, that I had, learned in school and then the ones after that started to make more sense and so even though they would use you know very technical terms in the articles I'd go look at what those technical terms meant and I could then translate it back to something that I was familiar with and uh, and then I could start I started saying okay well let's see if I can start making predictions about what will happen and uh, because that, that would be somewhat valuable. And so then I would do the analysis and then I would start making predictions. And then sometimes those predictions wouldn't occur. And then I would start wondering, well, why didn't that prediction occur? Because there was a lot of things set up for it to happen. And it just, what I found is a lot of times you can have all the logic, all the math, everything should, should go a certain way. And it just takes longer for those impacts to arrive. Because there's a lot of manipulation in the market. There's a lot of manipulation that's going on. I don't know how it's possible, but it is. And uh, so the things that you might think quantitatively should happen don't happen. And, uh, and a good example is uh, interest rate swaps. You know, the huge amounts of interest rates swaps in the derivatives market. And it explains why the interest rates have been extremely low for the last decades and uh, and why we haven't seen a, any rise in the interest rates. But at the same time, it does explain why we have so much inflation. So even though we have low interest rates, we have lots of inflation and things are expensive. And then wages haven't been going up as fast as inflation. So it's tough. Things get tough. And uh, my kids, you know, they, uh, they, you know, they're struggling to survive and provide for themselves. And so, you know, the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. And I really wish in some way that Rothbard's uh, theory of economics would take effect, that we would have, you know, we would have a liquidation event that liquidates the bad debt, bad investments, and then we reset the economy and we move forward from there. And then we move back to uh, banks not being investment houses, but banks being uh, money warehouses. And then our currency is not inflating. And 
so that we can have consistency. Um, and the, you know, the, and to some people, they 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 don't like that because it's like, oh, it's all about the growth. It's all about the growth. You know, and there is uh, new technologies that are introducing and disrupting. Like we were talking about the 120 million jobs and they're going to be transforming in the next decade. But, uh, you know, as that starts to occur, there's going to be a huge uh, boom for, for uh, training and, and uh, podcasts like this to kind of be talking about that transformation. 